So if I had to title it today, I would title it, You Will Reap What You Sow. That principle, I heard it uh, thrown at me years ago as a lost pagan. I had people say, hey, you're going to reap what you sow. Well, I had no clue what they meant, but I felt like, well, I'm going to reap what I sow. And uh, I did reap a lot of what I sowed, and I'm not proud of some of those uh, sowing moments that led to bad reaping moments. And I think if each and every one of us in this room got honest, we've sowed a few things that we wish we could go back and uh, uh, claim crop failure over. Come on. I mean, there's some of those decisions we've made. It's like, man, if I had a mulligan, I would take it. And uh, because we've all made choices and decisions that uh, had, had brutal consequences to us. And many of us sit here today realizing that principle is a lie. I like what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther, the great reformer who nailed the 95 Thesis to the Catholic Church door on Hallow's Eve, October 31st, 1517. And the great reformation was somewhat birthed. Martin Luther made this statement. He said, there's three conversions that need to take place in a person. They need to have the conversion of the head. They need to have the conversion of the heart. And then they need to have the conversion of the wallet. And so, and so, and so many of us sit here and go, hold, 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 hold on. Don't go there today. Yeah, I'm going to go there today. I'm going to go there today. But reality is we need our heart changed. We need a spiritual awakening. We need to come to the realization that Jesus Christ is Lord. We need to uh, be saved from our lost condition and experience salvation. We need our head changed. That's the reason we talk about it. it's important for each and every one of us to get a checkup from the neck up and eliminate stinking thinking. We need to stop pouting and doubting and moaning and groaning. And it's time to start grinning and winning and believing and receiving what God says. All of us need a checkup from the neck up. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all can kind of get kind of crazy there. And then the reality is, is we start to allow God to change us. So uh, money is so important. Money is a topic that's talked about throughout the Bible. And uh, if you ever study this over uh, uh, just, just right at half the parables that Jesus, our Messiah, taught were about money, wealth, and possessions. Did you hear that? About half of the parables that Jesus gives are about money or about wealth and about possessions. One out of every seven verses in the New Testament deal with money and wealth. How about that? I've had people look at me over the years and say, well, y'all talk too much about money. I'm like, I don't talk near, much, uh, near as much about money as my Savior does. And usually the people that say you talk too much about money don't give any money. And, and they're, they're hoarding their money. And so the reason they don't want you to talk about it is because they feel convicted every time it's brought up, especially when you quote scripture about it. I'm just saying I've made that observation. Do you know when you study Scripture, there's over 500 verses in the New Testament in Scripture that talk about the importance of prayer. There's less than 500 verses in the Bible that talk about faith, but there's over 2,000 verses that talk about money and talk about wealth and talk about uh, how to steward God's resources and here's what I believe. I believe there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. I had a guy tell me years ago when I first got saved, he said, hey, if you really want to know where your priorities are and what you're doing with your life, look at your checkbook and your daytimer. Jesse, I know y'all don't know what a daytimer is. It's just a little leather book we used to carry around. No, younger generation, I'm dating myself, but reality is we used to use daytimers. But you look at your checkbook and daytimer and say, hey, where's my time going? Where's my money going? Where, where am I giving my attention to? And I, I think there's a fundamental connection with what we do with money. 
and what we do with our time, talents, and treasures, and the condition of our heart. Here's two key observations I want to make. Number one would be this. How we use our money really is a reflection of the condition of our hearts. What we do with it says a lot about who we are. Another observation when you study scripture is God really does want us to live lives that are blessed and successful. If we can ever get our minds around that, that the principles in scripture, when we read them, God's not trying to prevent us from having fun. God's trying to protect us so that we really define fun in the right way. A lot of us, when it comes to defining success, Cruz and I had this conversation yesterday. I'm like, give me a working definition of success. And I looked at him and I said, success really is having wisdom and skill to do life in such a way that honors God. That's true success. And, and, and as you start to think about that as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, or a 40-year-old, or 27-year-old or like I am, I mean, it doesn't matter where you're at. Come on, Barb, you know I look good. We'll talk about that later. But anyway, I mean, God wants us to live successful, though, and he really does want us to live blessed lives that honor him. Here's a great, great proverb, great proverb, Proverbs chapter 3. A lot of people sitting in this room maybe have heard Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 about trusting in the Lord and, and not leaning on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledging him, etc. But verses 9 and 10 are so powerful in Proverbs 3 where he says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. He says, honor God with your wealth. Whatever God has entrusted to you, honor him. And then he goes on to say, honor him with the first. And the first there is the implication of first fruits, where we kind of get the word tithing from. And so as you start to think about it, he goes, bring your first fruits to the Lord. Honor God with your wealth, time, talents, treasures, possessions. Listen to what he says in verse 10. So your barns, so your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. When you honor God and apply the principles of God and trust God, he says, I can do more with you living on 80% glorifying me than you can live on 100% with your own strategies and ways. When you honor my principles and the way I've said do things, I will stretch things out. And a lot of us find ourselves in here today, we're not able to live a life of generosity because we've handcuffed ourselves with debt and we've bought into the world's lies and we find ourselves really scuffling every day. And God goes, I want to free you up. So this talk today is not about how uh, we can get money out of you. This talk today is about how you can start to trust the principles and the promises of God's word and move into surrendering to his leadership in all areas of your life. Now, as I've studied through this uh, regarding wealth and money, I've seen two extremes that people kind of use at times when they talk about uh, money in church. I've seen the prosperity gospel, and I've also seen the poverty gospel kind of talked about. Now, we live in a society where some of these cats out there are preaching today this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, which means if you give and you give enough, God's going to give you so much more back and you'll never get sick again. Now, I hear some of these cats on TV start to talk about that. Hey, all you've got to do is sow a seed of $10 and God's going to give you 100 well, if God worked that way, I'm all in all the time. I don't think you, hey, just try it one time. You give 10, you get 100, guess what? You want to give 10 more next week, right? So, so it's never about that. And that teaching is so fallaciously wrong. And it's so twisted because it has nothing to do with that. 
It, you give out of obedience. And people say, well, you when you give, God's going to take care of you. Well, I've given before, and the stinking transmission go out and have a blowout the next week. It's not about what I can get. It's about how I can honor God with the principles. He says, do this. The other group at times will teach a poverty gospel. That if you really love Jesus and you want to be righteous, you've got to sell everything you've got and just live poor and broke. Well, both of those are kind of extreme views. And people will oftentimes talk that, but it doesn't make any sense. Now, here's the priority. Galatians chapter 6, and I want you to get this. It's in your bulletin. Grab a pen, write notes down, because you want to grow. You really do. Now, here, here, here's the priority that God gives us. Galatians 6, 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. Now, here, here, here's what we know. Do not be deceived. This is the crazy thing. I get to look at all of your beautiful faces on a Sunday. Every person that I'm looking at is open to possible deception. Every one of us in this room can fall into a trap of deception. Do not be deceived. We can start to buy into the lies of the world, the lies of Satan. So, some of us have struggled at times because we took our eyes off of Christ, refused to submit to scriptural principles, and we didn't treat the Word of God as if it was absolute authority, and we started negotiating and we got deceived. Now the enemy roars around like a lion seeking anyone to devour. He'll take me out and he'll take you out. And once we think that we're be beyond deception, we're foolish people. Now, all of us can be deceived. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Now, the phrase God is not mocked in the Greek is a very powerful phrase. And it literally means don't turn your nose up at the principles of God. Hey, hey God is not mocked. You can't turn your nose up at the principles of God because here's the conclusion that God, I'm mocking you, which we reach that place where we say, my choices and decisions have no consequences. I can do whatever I want to do. We've been working through situations with so many people over these last years. And Barb and I, we, we, we've looked and I, our heart breaks and we go, where is the fear of God? Where is the reverence of God? People mock God, mock the ways of God, the word of God, and, and, and they act like they don't care. And I'm like, I'm scared to do that. Like, I, if I willfully walked away from God and, like, I'm going to do whatever I want to, I believe God would kill me. And I am not saying that tongue-in-cheek. I really mean it with everything I have. I believe if I said, you know what? I'm mocking you. I'll do what I want to do. I do believe God would take me out. That's how much I fear God. And I think we've got to get at the place where once we say, Jesus, I really do want to honor you that we understand deception is possible for each and every one of us, but we will not mock God. Because he goes on to say, whatever. What, what, whatever. Lying, stealing, cheating, fornicating, adultery, alcoholism, drug abuse, manipulating, 
whatever a man or a woman sows, this you will also reap. What, what, whatever, what, whatever. So we're sowing whatever every day. We're either based on the next text. I mean, based on the next text, we're sowing every day. Because he goes on to say, the one who sows to the flesh reaps corruption. The one who sows to the spirit reaps eternal life. We're sowing every day. Every decision we make every day is a seed that we're planting. So we can disregard the things of God and feel like, hey, I'm above it. But, but, but what, whatever you will reap. Now here's three simple principles of the harvest. And this is good. Three simple pr uh, principles of the harvest is this. Number one, you will always reap what you sow. Which means you sow a bad attitude, you're going to reap a lot of crazy attitude. In Proverbs, he says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Which means when you're gentle in your response, it's amazing how it turns away the anger and wrath of other people. But you sow anger, you pick a fight, you might get a fight. That's what he says. So, so, so when I sow a kernel of corn, I'm not going to get back a, a bunch of grapes. Because whatever I sow, that's what I'm going to reap. If I sow corruption to my flesh, again, whatever that, whatever is, you're going to reap it. Now, it's a principle. Every day we're sowing. Every day we're sowing. Every day we're sowing as parents and sowing with our own lives. When you looked at that dude yesterday, it was one of the most moving moments for me, Cruz, when you said, the way you live and what I've seen in you, Jesse, that's what I wanted. Like, so, so, so when he said that, it wasn't what you sowed Friday, but it was what you sowed that week and that month and that previous month and that previous month. Come on, come on, come on. We're sowing every day. What gives us credibility and the right to be heard? It's what we've sown over a period of time. So whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Here's the second principle. You're going to sow more than you, or you're going to reap more than you sow. So if I sow that same little kernel of corn, I don't go out there three months later and get a kernel of corn. I get a stalk with ears that have many kernels on those ears. Here, here, here's the principle. You sow good stuff today. You don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow, but you know it's right. You sow bad stuff today. You don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow, but it's going to come back and get you. Yeah. So I sow an acorn. I don't get an acorn. I get an oak tree. Wow. You can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. That's the principle, right? So we're sowing every day. And so we're sowing. And, and we're scratching our head thinking, we, 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 we're terrible parents and we don't know what we're doing. And we, we think that. And then all of a sudden you get a text and Benji's like, uh, had 14 guys at Bible study. These guys are starting to open up. Really? And you want to see your kids grow in wisdom and stature and favoring with God and favor with others. Luke 2.52. And I remember praying that over Rachel and praying that over Benji and praying it over Jesse and praying it over Hannah. Praying it over Caleb. And we all take some paths at times. And I'm like, what are you thinking? 
But you look and go, keep planting the seed, keep planting the seed, keep planting the seed, and all of a sudden you start to see growth and maturation. We got this little tree in our backyard. It's a miniature magnolia. Barb was like, I, I just think that would be so pretty. I'm like, okay, I'll plant it. And so, guys, you know, we do what they tell us to do. Come on, can I just get an amen somewhere? Yeah. So I got there and dig that little hole. All right, so I don't always do what you want me to do. I don't even always listen to what you're telling me to do. But occasionally I will acknowledge it, so I did plant the tree. Back to the tree. So I go, back, I go out there and plant this tree, and this little twig was about two feet out of the ground. This miniature magnolia. And so I remember, I don't know if you guys ever get a bad attitude. I did twice. and No, but I can get a bad attitude. So I'm out there having to mow the yard, and there's that twig. And the first year, I remember, I had to mow around the twig, and I was afraid to use the weed eater around this little twig because I'm a threat to whack something and knock it down. And not tell anybody because it shouldn't have been there anyway. But, but, so I'm, Barb, that twig, I don't know what's up with that. So year two, I'm still out there, and we've thrown some fertilizer on it, and now it's gone from two feet to two feet and one inch, and I'm like, oh, what are we thinking? And I'm mowing around this little miniature magnolia. Same thing all year, third year, same thing. And I'm like, Barb, I think you got, I think you got a bad tree. So I Google miniature magnolias, and it said, oh, it takes them three or four years to really start to establish a little root system before they start to grow. How about that? Around about year five, little two foot one to two foot five to two foot ten, I go out there and I'm like, Barb, the tree's four foot tall. We were, re we were reaping what we sowed, but a lot of us, what we don't understand is we're going to reap later than we sow. And, and we live in this microwave society, all of us do, where you can pop that little thing in for two minutes and take it out and it's good to eat. And, and many of us are slow with patience. And so when we start to sow that word of God into our kids, or we start to say, this is the truth. Okay, I'm going to trust God with my money. Okay, what does that mean? And after two months, nothing happens, and you go through some adversity, and you throw the towel in. Or, or I, I, I've got to trust God with forgiving this person, and all of a sudden you extend forgiveness, and all of a sudden they wear you out again next week, and they come down on you, you go, that ain't working. And, and, and the problem is, a lot of us, we sell out quickly. We don't stay with the process. So, so the Galatians passage, the laws of the harvest, you will reap what you sow. You will reap more than you sow, and you will always reap later than you've sown. Because like I said, there's so many people that raise hell and party, and they get out there and they're just going through life from the time they're 15, 16 years old, all the way up until they're, the, the time they're 45 or 50, and they repent, and they come to faith in Christ, but they start to look at the failed marriages, and they start to look at the debris of never training their kids, and their kids are wild and living out there in the world, and all of a sudden, they, they're like, God, you're doing so much, and they pray for crop failure, and crop failure don't happen because they're reaping what they sow. And that's the reason Solomon would say in Ecclesiastes, remember the Lord, your God in the days of your youthfulness before evil days come and you say, I don't even have any delight because I sowed so many bad seeds that I'm suffering the consequences of them. That principle works. What we sow today 
echoes for eternity. So this whole thought process, when it comes to living generous, when it comes to living with your family, this principle works in every area of life. Now, here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. The principle in Scripture is alive, but the promise that Jesus makes is powerful. And Luke chapter 6, Jesus makes this observation. He says, give, and it will be given to you. If you give, it's going to be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll be poured out into your lap. This is what he says. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What what, what are you saying? I'm saying he's making a promise. So the currency of that day was wheat. When these guys would go out and work in the wheat field, what they got back was they got paid in wheat. It was the currency of that day. here's, Here's the truth. What I keep is all I have. But what I give, God multiplies. That, that was a principle God had to teach us. What, what I keep, that's all you got. But what you're willing to give, God will multiply. So here's what he says right here. This is so cool. He goes, give it and it will be given to you. He uses those phrases again. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So when you would come in, you would come in to your employer and you would have a basket. And he would say, all right, now it's time to pay you. If you were a terrible employer, they would pour some wheat in there and they would say, have a good day. But to those that were faithful and disciplined and determined and stayed with it, they would pour that wheat in that basket and they would say, come here. Here's what we've got to do. We're going to press it down and we're going to make more room for more. And then we're going to shake it together to get rid of all the air in here. And then we're going to pour some more and we're going to press it down and we're going to shake it together. And when you leave, it's going to be running out because you're blessed. So when we learn to live generous lives and we learn to steward our resources and our time and talents and treasures to God and we are faithful with what God's calling us to do, he goes, I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be running over. You see, our greatest apologetic to the fallen world in which we live as evangelicals is what we do with our money, I believe. The greatest statement we can make to the world, Loganville, Walton County, Gwinnett County, the state of Georgia. Our greatest apologetic, which means our greatest defense of the gospel, is what we do with our money. Because what we're telling people is that this ain't home. My citizenship is elsewhere. I'm not trying to stockpile everything I can for now, because this ain't where I live forever. And when you start to really get, give. Give. Live generous. Live free. And the promise here is so cool. This is, not, this is not to teach you a motivation in giving. You don't give so that you're going to get more. He shows you the reward in giving. When you give, God's able to take it, multiply it, bless it. He's going to take care of you. Here's one of the things we do here. We, we challenge people to honor God. And we say, I challenge you for 100 days to honor God. Start tithing based on Malachi 3. Just just honor God. We don't want your money, but you need to learn to honor God. And I tell you what we'll do. After 100 days, if God has not been faithful to you, every dime you've given, we'll write you a check back. We don't want your money. We want you to be obedient to God. And people go, are you serious? Yes. 
Honor God. If God don't take care of you, we'll compensate him. Oh, like God needs us to bail him out. Once we start to trust God, it's amazing what can happen. Let me wrap it with this. Let me wrap it. So here's a priority to keep in mind. You've got the principle God gives us a promise, but I, I love this as a priority kind of mindset for life. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, a farmer who plants only a few seeds is only going to get a little crop, but the one who plants a lot of seeds is going to get a bigger crop. Hey, how about that? You're generous. You're faithful. You honor God with your time, your talents, and your treasures. I'll take care of you. Three simple thoughts in closing. Your heart matters when you give. Your why is absolutely crucial to the what's in house. Why you do what you do is so essential in the spiritual journey. I've got to get my why right. If my why is to honor God, God will take care of it. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God says, I bought you. Your body is mine. Thus, my why is to glorify God with my body. God tells us repeatedly throughout Scripture, hey, honor your, your wife. Honor, honor that girl. You're in covenant with her. Be willing to die. When I do that, I'm just honoring what God has said. This is the way you do it. Bring your children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Train your child in the way they should go. When they get old, they're not going to depart. Didn't say they're not going to raise hell a little bit here and there, but it says deep down inside their heart, they'll, they'll get back. You believe that? Some of y'all are sitting out here right now, you've had some prodigals that have come home, but you look back and go, we, we, we sowed those seeds. They got a little crazy, got loose in the corners a few times, but we trained them up in the way they should go. So your heart matters. He says this in chapter 9, verse 7, you must each make up your mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in pressure or in response to pressure. God loves the person who gives cheerfully. And, 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 and some of y'all had that kind of experience I did. So our views of money and our views of money talks and stewardship talks and possession talks in church, for some of us, it was kind of twisted, right? I remember sitting there on some Sunday mornings. I didn't go much, but I, I remember the guilt and shame. Hey, we're going to pass that off from plate enough. We, uh, again, we didn't get enough the first time. Well, man, after about 19 stanzas of just as I am, I'm digging in there, man, pulling out cotton and pennies and anything else going, I'm ready to eat. Somebody give this dude something. We got to go. So I didn't get what the teaching was. We're going to pass it again. Pass what again? You need to pass out where we can go home. That's what you need to do. But check this out. When I got this principle here, uh, each one must make up his mind. It's a heart issue. Each one has got to be generous to the Lord. A lot of us don't want to pray about what God wants us to do because God might really be asking us to do something that gets us out of our comfort zone. You can't pressure people into obedience. It doesn't last. It has to be hard. Lord, I want to honor you. So when we started years ago, it's like, here's the principle. 10, 10, 80, we'll do that. Then you get to the place of like, hey, we're able to get about 15% now. That's really cool toward kingdom work. We're able to support missionaries and others. That's really cool. And, and, and you keep growing and you grow and you're able to support people going on mission trips or people that need like help right then. Like some single mom's car goes out and she really is broken. It's like, hey, we got you covered. We got you covered. 
And, and it's a great place to be, but it's not out of guilt and shame. It's out of response of, we love you. The word generous in the Greek is where we get the word hilarious. And God loves a hilarious giver, one that laughs about getting to participate in kingdom work, Dallas. Don't, don't you trip out sometimes that God lets you be a part of what God's up to, even though he don't need you? I mean, I say repeatedly, I, on my good day, I'm a donkey giving divinity a ride. Donkeys, man, come on, dude. That's all you are. He's divinity. It's all for his glory. Here's the second principle. Check it out. God will not allow you to outgive him. You'll never be able to outgive God. If you really buy in and understand and submit to biblical principle, he says God is able to make all grace abound to you. So when you give generously, somehow the grace of God just pours more stuff into your lap. I've seen that happen in my own journey for 27 years. I'm like, where did that come from? I don't know, but God makes more grace abound. Here's the third truth. God will get it to us if God can get it through us. God will get it to you if he can get it through you. And so he goes on to say, you will be enriched so that you can give even more generously. And when we take your gifts to those who need them and they break out giving thanks to God, God says, I'm going to get it to you if I know I can get it through you. So if we ever learn the secret, check it out. If we ever learn the secret of trusting God, what we see ourselves as is we see ourselves as a flowing stream, not a stagnant pond. So whatever we're doing in life, God goes, I can pour this in you because it's going to go through you and touch somebody else. But there's so many stagnant ponds that things go in like the Dead Sea and nothing goes out. He's like, I can't get any more to you because ain't nothing going through you. You, 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 you. You're damming up the flow. And if we ever get that God really is worth trusting, that God is worth obeying, that God is worth honoring. If we ever get the truth that his principles will never return void. If we ever really get that the grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And if we can get our heart in alignment to say, God loves me. Let me speak this over you right now. Each and every one of you, God loves you. And there's nothing you can do about it. God is for you. God wants you to know him. God is inviting you to trust him on all areas. Once God gets my heart, he gets my wallet. Once he gets my heart, he gets my eyes, what they look at. Once he gets my heart, he gets my speech. A lot of times we try to clean up the external. Hey, I got your heart. Yeah, those six to 12, 12 ounces every night, somehow it just got released. Why? Because he got my heart. He got my heart. Once he gets my heart and I trust him with my heart, he gets everything. Would you trust him to be enough? Would you trust him? What are you willing to sow? What is God telling you to give up? What is God telling you to do? Thank you for joining us for the teaching here at the Cross Loganville. Let me encourage you to access our website, thecrossloganville.org. Tons of information 
uh, will answer many of your questions. Maybe you've been pondering what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ or maybe just uh, some other issues you're going through and you're like, uh, I I need to talk to someone. We would love to help you. Contact us via email, info at thecrossloganville.org or you can call us at 770-554-3322. God bless you. Make it a great day.